What's going on? It's time for another episode of Too Hard for the Radio. Transmitting from the future free state of Greater Idaho, I am the one-armed madman. And with me today to tell us about his new book, 14 Days in Beijing, we've got Chancel Jackson. How you doing, my man? Hey, what's going on, family? Blood balance you. Blessings and balance to everyone that's tuning in right now. Big shout out to the viewers. Hey, y'all the real MVPs. Appreciate y'all for being here. Right on. Sure. Right on. So... I've uh I've had myself some my fair share run-ins with the law over my years. <laughs> and I've been in some nasty jail cells, but I can't imagine what it's like. Let let's hear this. How did you end up in jail in Beijing? Yeah, so um after I graduated from college, Stetson University, um, go Hatters down in Florida for y'all that's not familiar with it. Um I graduated with a bachelor's degree in communication media studies. But ironically, my first job was teaching English to children. Oh, so right that's on. what that's how I ended up out there. And um I ended on October 10th, and I was supposed to do a year. And but I only ended up doing six months total before everything hit the fan. But prior to you know saying those last 14 days in China, it was the best experience I've ever had. I always encourage people to travel abroad, but if you could live abroad someplace else. Man, you'll see how much you'll learn about yourself and most importantly, life in general. Um, so in Beijing, you know what I'm saying, living my best life, experiencing all that, you know what I'm saying, the China has to offer. Um, the people were extremely nice. I'm talking about best customer service I've ever received, hands down. And they don't accept tips. That's just them doing a job. They take pride in they work, very hardworking people, disciplined people. Um, who was absolutely amazing. Nothing, hey, authentic Chinese food is nothing like we have here in America. Two completely different cuisines. Yeah, so yeah. The food was lit. Um, working with the kids, that's what I was out there to do. I wasn't sure how that was going to go. You know what I'm saying? Because you couldn't tell me. I, I played football for the vast majority of my life. So to go from the athlete, you know what I'm saying, student, now I'm the one leading the classroom. Oh, yeah, that was a whole 180. I had to, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, just unlearn and relearn. Feel. But that was lit. I'm working with kids as young as three years old, all the way up to 14. But I mainly work with the elementary school age range. So most of our lessons ain't nothing but games, just keep them engaged. So we was lit every day in class. Um, of course, just exploring Beijing. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. So I, I'm in a different world, essentially. Oh, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But it's life as we know it. But it's it's drastically different. So just, you know what I'm saying, just exploring and just meeting all the different foreigners out there. You know what I'm saying? That was it too. Like out of all the places I could have met you, we met in Beijing, China. One, it's not even easy to get into this country. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So the fact that... We're here, hey man, I know but a deep breath is for you. And I don't even know you because I'm just curious to know everything about your journey for you to be here and vice versa. You know what I'm saying? So um, it was lit. It, it was lit. And then on April 4th, 2019, things took time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm in my apartment. It's my day off. And I uh, head to a team builder event that my company is hosting. They host team builder events every month. Um, and we're going to be customizing our own Chinese fans. So I was like, it's pretty cool. You know what I'm saying? Before I go, I said, I'm a pregame. So I'm in an apartment, um, drinking some Chinese wine coolers, smoke some cannabis at my little pub. I get done, get dressed, make sure I got everything before I get ready to walk out the door. Um, I hear a knock. And guess I don't know if I'm I'm curious to see who it is. Walk to the walk over to the door, look at the people, and there's still three officers from the Beijing police. Instantly, I got spooked. Six stomach. Oh, what they doing here? Hold on. <laughs> Scramble, put everything up, open the door, and they enter the they walk into the apartment and the officer in front, he's talking. 
Yeah, I have no clue what this man is saying. It's oh, written yeah. on my face. I have no clue what he's saying. <laughs> he takes out his phone and he speaks into an app to translate. So I'm reading the translation. It says, are you on drugs? Drugs? Family, what you talking about? Huh? Oh, nah, you got, nah, no, I don't know what you talking about. You got me confused with somebody else. Uh. He speaks into the app again. Are there any drugs in the house? Family, where are you getting this information from? First of all, how are you doing? You good? Okay, for sure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, I don't know what type of time you on. Passport? Yeah, let me go grab my passport. You got me confused with somebody mm-hmm. else. Let me mm-hmm. go grab my documentation to ease this confusion. I'm just, you know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to finesse the yeah, situation. Yeah. So get them out of your house. Exactly. I go <laughs> grab everything, visa, apartment contract, uh <laughs> everything. Walking in there like, huh, bro, I don't know what type of time you're on, but this is what you need to look at. This is me right here. So he sits down and he's looking over my documents. The other two officers are just, you know what I'm saying, walking around the apartment, just scoping the place out. Nothing too crazy. Just, you know what I'm saying, got wandering eyes. So a few minutes pass and they had me sit down. So I sit down at the, my dining room table that's in the living room and I hear footsteps coming from down the hall. Mind you, the front door is still open. So I look back like, who is that? It's another officer approaching the apartment. So I ain't really thinking too much of it. I'm just like, oh, but how am I going to get out of this situation? How am I going to finesse this? You know what I'm saying? So the officer, the new officer enters the apartment, and he has something in his hand. And he hands that item to the officer that's looking over my documents. And that officer tells me that I need to pee into this cup. So it's oh, a drug test no. right down the street. I said, oh, yeah, it's over with. Oh, <laughs> no. I'm like, it's over with. Do the drug test. Fail the drug test, of course. And now it's like eight officers in the apartment. I don't even know where these folks came from. And yeah. they ransacking the place. You know what I'm saying? But one officer in particular speaks English fluently. So he's questioning me about failing drug tests. When the last time I smoked, if I had any more. You know what I'm saying? That whole nine. Like I said, I'm from Atlanta, the city of finesse. You live by the finesse. You die by the finesse. So every question this officer posed to me, the first thing that comes to my mind, I'm just blurting out answers. I ain't really think yeah. about it. You know what I'm saying? And it got to a point within our interrogation um that i was catching myself in my own lie so i knew for a fact oh, he no. most likely is catch me in the yeah, lie yeah yeah but and they're hey, good at that stuff <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah. you live by the finesse you die by the finesse so yeah. we started going back and forth and once he realized that i wasn't gonna give him anything that he could work with that's when he was like you know what I'm saying? he just made it clear like man the charade is up you caught red-handed it's over with so i'm like okay for sure i die by the finesse this time i live a finesse another day for sure. now i gotta hold myself accountable mm-hmm. so fess up to it they confiscate everything, throw the cuffs on me, escort me out the building, sit me down in the police van. And now I'm just in disbelief for just what just took place. <laughs> One, and I'm curious as hell is how this thing finna play out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but I'm like, hey, just sit tight. You're gonna learn soon enough for sure. So we ride, we get to one precinct and we're there briefly. Now this scene is pretty much the typical scene you see in TV shows and movies when they bring in new arrests. So you got the officers on desk duty. Envision that, but the Chinese version. You okay. know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. the only foreign, the only English speaker in the, in this in the whole facility. Our eyes on me, of course. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? But I'm just, I'm still high. I'm just sitting there, just reflecting on everything yeah. that transpired at the apartment, and just still curious. I'm like, okay, how this thing finna play out? What's finna be next? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I have no clue, but I'm like, all in all, we're like, however this thing plays out, however it goes, I know I'm going to be good. I'm saying this to myself. I'm like, I know I'm going to be straight when it's all said and done. My spirit still going to be intact. My mental still going to be intact. I'm still going to be me. Whatever I'm have to endure. I, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to be able to take it on the chin for sure. Now, I don't know how or what's going to take place, but 
know what I'm saying? It is what it is. And take note of every minor detail because it's going to be a great story to tell once you're out of this predicament. And most importantly, boy, enjoy this hot one last time because we don't know what's going to happen to us. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, right? It's laid back. <laughs> hey, man, give me 10 minutes and then I'll answer your questions. <laughs> oh, me, for sure. So, well, I'm sitting there in the first precinct for about like 15, 20 minutes and then they come get me and we get back in the van. So I'm like, okay, uh, where are we going? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we riding about 30 minutes past. So we arrive at another facility. Uh, we walk in. This is another precinct. Um, it's a little bit bigger and it has holding cells. So they had me change oh, clothes and throw me in the holding cell by all the Chinese men. And I'm in the Chinese, I'm in the, the holding cell for about like 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And they come get me and walk me to the basement of the precinct. We are walking down this white hallway and we enter this all white room. And in the middle of this room is this all metal chair that looks like an electric chair. In front of the chair is a regular table with two regular chairs in front of it for officers to sit at. And then you have a camera sitting on the tripod capturing the whole room. Yeah. So they walk up, walk me over to the little metal chair and they open it up and they looking at me and I'm looking back at them. I look at the chair, look back at them, look at the chair again and look back at them like, <laughs> y'all really want me to sit down in this type yeah. of chair? And they looking at me with a straight face. Yeah. So I sat my ass on down. Yeah, shit just got serious. <laughs> <laughs> well, that thing like my shins, thighs, waist, chest, and arms all in one place. The only part of my body I could move is my head. So I did my whole interrogation locked into this chair. Um, but by this time, there was plenty of time to, uh, for me to come up with a good story to finesse them with. So I yeah, gave yeah. my fabricated story. Um, one officer was asking all the questions. The other officer was transcribing the entire uh, conversation. So they bring the transcriptions over for me to uh, review. Mind you, this thing is everything is written in Mandarin. So yeah. I have no clue what this thing yeah. says. But they say to sign it. I sign it. They say thumbprint. I thumbprint it. And they release me from the chair. So I'm like, all right, bet. You know what I'm all saying? Right. We get up, yeah. go back upstairs, take my mug shot, handprint, and they throw me back in the holding cell. So now I'm just really reflecting on the entire day, what I could did better at the apartment, what I could have said better during the interrogation, just coming up with just different oh, scenarios. Yeah. But I'm like, regardless if I still had a little bit of weed on me. Or not, with me failing drug tests, I was going to end up in this same predicament. So I was damned either way. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so it was like, it is what it is. And so now my high is finally coming down. You know what I'm saying? I'm fading in and out of consciousness. My And I'm still handcuffed in the holding cell. Yeah. So trying to find a spot to lie down, handcuffed is not easy to do. Wrists but, are hurting like hell by man. that point. <laughs> yeah, people so, don't understand how bad handcuffs hurt, man. Those things man, suck. No cap. No cap. <laughs> Yeah. And every time I look, I wake up, look up at the uh, window in the back of the cell, the sun is fading more, more, more until it's just still darkness. So hours have passed. I don't know how long it's been, but I know hours have passed. They come get me from the holding cell, walk me to the lobby, read my basket clothes, let me get dressed. So I'm like, oh, bet. See, look, when you when you work with these folks, your energy good, uh-huh. everything work out in your favor. So I uh-huh. done got dressed. I'm waiting for the next set of orders. Like, what's happening? <laughs> Let's yeah, go. I'm ready to go now. home, for real. <laughs> So they have me follow them uh, through behind uh, through a door that's behind the front desk in the lobby. So we enter through the, walk through this door. Now we in the hallway. At the end of the hallway is a small room crowded with officers. So I'm just following the CO into this room. I have no clue what this room is, but as I enter, I can only guess is this is some form of evidence room, just because I see evidence bags everywhere. No sense of structure, organization whatsoever. It's just hoarded, like it's just shit everywhere. So I'm like, all right. In the middle of the room. This is, is the part of the porno when they're like, all right, 
what are you willing to do to get out of this, buddy? <laughs> oh, me, like, what is, what is, I'm like, what's going to go on in here? So it's a table in the middle of the room, and in the center of the table is everything that was confiscated from my apartment. So one officer sits down at the table, and he weighs the weed up in front of me. Now, one, this is an interesting phase within the book, because as a reader, you're curious to know how much does he actually have yeah. on him. Two, I thought it was interesting. I'm like, I've never seen or heard of law enforcement weigh whatever they just confiscated from somebody right there in front of them. Mm. I thought that was that was new to me. So I'm like, that's interesting. And then three, as you can tell, I'm not really receiving no information as we go on. I'm just learning as I go. That's the premise of the whole book. I'm here to tell y'all I did 14 days. As you're reading, you have no clue how long you're going to be in this situation until one day they just finally call your name to come home. Oh, wow. You know what I'm saying? So... With that being said, a lot of the only viable information I was able to receive were signs and messages from my higher powers, my ancestors, yeah. my guardian angels, whatever you want to refer that to. That was going to be like my first question is, were you talking to God in that cell? Because yeah. I would have been for damn sure. That's <laughs> oh, usually yeah. when it happens when you're sitting there oh, in that cell being like, oh, man, I fucked up so bad. <laughs> no, nah, for real. So he weighs up, the, the officer weighs up the weed and it totals out to be 1.4 grams. Oh, man. Yeah. For those that partake in cannabis, mm-hmm. you know, 1.4 grams ain't nothing. For those that don't partake in cannabis, we're talking units of measurement. 1.4 grams of anything isn't a lot. So I ain't have much on me, but imagine I have a whiteboard right here. Yeah. I dry and I write 1.4 on this whiteboard. Big. <laughs> and then I erase the decimal. What number would you see? Oh, 14. Hence the title of the book. Now, uh, did I catch that initially? Absolutely not. Went clean over my head. Uh, you yeah, know what I'm saying? Look at that. But that was the very first sign I received. And the other signs I received occurred in my dreams. Um, so they put everything on paper, had me review it. Yet I can't read. Yeah, I, can't I don't know what it. this thing says. But Did they I give you a lawyer? Oh, no. Yeah, I didn't think so. Ain't none of that going yeah, on. Yeah. I'm representing myself. Yeah. <laughs> sign, thumbprint. All right. And we get in the van. So I'm like, okay. Yeah, I, I look at the, the radio on the clock. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning. These folks arrested me at like 11.30 a.m. I've been in custody all day. I don't work with y'all. I'm like, there's no way they're not taking me by now. So we arrive. We there. A 4.50 minute pass. We arrive at the facility. Detail tall walls and bobbed wire. I was like, oh, we just getting started. Yeah. <laughs> so enter the facility, go to the infirmary, do a quick physical, then um, take me to another room to change clothes, put me in my official uniform. They gave me a plastic bowl, a plastic spoon, and then we went upstairs to the second floor to where the men are housed. Walk, walking down the hall, we get up to nine, and the CO starts to open the door. Mind you, it's like four o'clock in the morning, so people are asleep. Um, as the door opens, my like is thrown by the setup of the cell. It ain't nothing but a big rectangle, I say about 10 yards in length. No, but I said 15 yards of length, 10 yards, you know what I'm saying? Big rectangle. Um, you take, I say, I'm standing in the doorway, one and a half, one and a half yards, take one and a half yards uh, into the cell. That's where the beds begin. And they stretch from there all the way to the back of the cell. And there's enough wooden planks, you know what I'm saying? With cubbies underneath each one. Um, so on top of the, on the wooden beds, I, I describe it as, it looks like I'm a, like that's why I didn't mean, like it looks like some party just like you know back in the day we had sleepovers and yeah, yeah. family or your, yeah. your your teammates or whatever yeah. and it's a limited amount of space sleep so we had a main room that's what it looked like yeah but weirdly enough across from the slumber party standing up against the wall wide awake are two Chinese inmates 
watching them sleep. So, oh, so of course, they, just, they, they, yeah. They, yeah, I, you're awake. So, we make eye contact. So, the last thing them folks expect to see come walking through the door with locks. Last thing I expected to see was two Chinese motherfuckers watching other Chinese motherfuckers sleep. So, we just got this awkward moment of eye contact trying to feel each other out, trying to make sense of what's going on. So, I do a head count one, two, three, four. Okay, including me, it's 15 of us in the cell. I count the beds. Nine in total. Yeah. Well, it makes sense why it looks like a slumber party then. To the left is the bathroom. This is on separate room, but all the walls are made of glass. So everybody in the cell can see inside. Have a regular uh sink, a toilet, so a hole in the ground you got to squat over. Shower ain't nothing but a water hose and a shower head duct tape together. You got black mold coating the walls, nap stuff around. So it's not the most sanitary place to say yeah. at least. So um, when but, I uh when I lived in San Francisco, I used to take the bus. And I lived on the route of the, like in the, the early route of the bus. So there was nobody on the bus when I got on and then you would go through Chinese neighborhood and then they would all load on and then you'd make your way to Chinatown. And the way they would do this is, this is interesting. When the seats are full and someone like me, white guys sitting on the seats, they'll just come and sit on your lap because I heard that's how they roll in in China. They just kind of pack on. So I can imagine that they were like packing in tight in, in these cells. Like that spot on this note, like when we was going through training, um, one of the very first training sessions we had was just learning about the culture and the people yeah. like how should, how they move in China. Yeah, personal space doesn't exist. Yeah. In China. Like that was to be right here in your face. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think nothing's wrong with it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Hey, there's but no bed, but you're, you're sense. a little fat. So I'm just going to lay on you as a cushion. <laughs> <laughs> nah, for real. Yeah, nah, for real. So, um, so I, I approach the slumber party. I'm trying to find a spot to lie down. One of the inmates taking watch, he wakes two people up to make room for me, and they do. They have me set my bowl and my spoon in the cubby, and I lay down between these two Chinese dudes, my hands on my chest, and I'm staring at the bright light on the ceiling. And that's when reality fully kicked in. Yeah. Like, damn. <laughs> hey, well, in here, nobody knows we're in here. Nothing has been explained to us as far as how this process works, how long we're going to be in here. Um... I'm the only foreigner and more than likely the only English speaker in the cell right now, too. So it's not looking too good. Yeah. But hey, I gotta hold myself accountable because I was kind I knew what I was getting in, what I was doing, and I knew the repercussions from that. So now the shit has hit the fan, and here we are. Hey man, I get to see the end how everything's gonna play out for sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So with that being said, it's no point trying to spill milk. What needs to take place to speed this process up? Yeah. Well, people gotta realize you're in here. All right, well, you're supposed to meet friends and colleagues at the event today, but you know what I'm saying? You ain't show up and they knew you was coming. Yeah. I'm sure they called you and you ain't answer. Is that a red flag? No, not really, but it's weird. Now, you don't show up for work uh, Saturday and Sunday, our busiest day week. All hell is breaking loose because now they got to find somebody to cover all your classes last minute. Yeah. And one of those colleagues that's going to meet at that event, me and her work at the same school and from Atlanta too. So she's going to know, all right, he ain't show up to the event. Now he ain't showing up for work. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong. This is like him. Yeah, something's wrong. That's yeah. one red flag. I'm like, boom, that's one. Two, I had a girlfriend at the time. Oh, and okay. we talk regularly. I'm like, when I don't respond to her message, it's all hell is breaking loose. Mm-hmm. So I know I'm at the least for the weekend. It's Friday morning now. Hopefully come Monday, the search for me will begin then. Yeah. So um, it's just we're going to it the weekend. And you know, so just cross that bridge when we yeah. get to it. Um, but yeah, we locked up 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 15 men to one cell, nine wouldn't miss. 
three soups a day. And literally all I had was that plastic bowl and that plastic spoon for those 14 days. Man, that's got to be a rough couple of days. I mean, <laughs> uh, the food in American jails is awful. I can't imagine, you know, the food in Chinese jail. <laughs> Soup. Oh. So <laughs> there was like, you know, I'm, I'm like thinking like the, the American who's used to, you know, knowing the rules ahead of time and stuff like that. Like I'm thinking, all right, so there's got to be some sort of like avenue for you to get a hold of the embassy or something like that. But it didn't sound like, like you, they, you didn't get a phone call. No, I didn't make contact with the outside world until day seven. So I was in there a whole week before wow. I was able to make contact with anybody. And that was only because we met with immigration. That, and his job was to find somebody who can, for, for his job was to find somebody that can buy us a plane ticket for whenever you know, our time is up. Yeah. But when, how long am I supposed to be here? I have no clue, but yeah. he, you know what I'm saying? He just needs somebody that he can contact to uh, your plane ticket for yeah. whenever. Now, did you know like the marijuana laws before you went there? And like, yeah. or was it, it kind of yeah. hit you by, you knew them. What, like, yeah, is yeah. it just purely like I live in, in Nevada or in um, Idaho. So like it's, really illegal here i come from california yeah. <laughs> so i uh i rent rooms out of my house and one of the guys got just hammered drunk at one point and like disappeared i kicked him out i was like you can't be here like this you got to go to a hotel so at one point like his family couldn't find him so they do a wellness check and the cops show up at my house and this was right after I had an amputation so i was drugged out of my mind doctor's drugs <laughs> But being from California, I had a little bit of weed in the house. And, dude, right, like, I think I even had less than you. And I had it in my mm. laundry room. So being just out of it, and I, I know better than to let cops into my house. I, I grew up, like, with parents who told you cops are the enemy. Like, they're out to get you. Yeah. They just want to destroy your lives. Like, you never let them in without a warrant. Like, I know all these things, but... I was wasted on drugs, so I let these guys in. I show them the room. Like, he's not here. I don't know where the hell he's at, you know. And being from California, no cop coming in to see if somebody's okay is ever going to look twice at a little bit of weed. And these guys were not California cops. And after we got done talking about the the missing person, they, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I'm like, what What are you talking about, man? What, you're 250 pounds? Are we going to talk about you? But, uh, you know, <laughs> they, uh, they, I, I, and I go, you know what? It's time for you guys to go. I've been cooperative and I've had about enough at this point. Mm -hmm. Guys got to go. And they go, all right, it's time to go in and <laughs> stop resisting. And then they beat the hell out of me. They ended up, I, um, I made a, a comment being a smart ass. The guy like held cuffs up, like, here you go. And swinging around like he's on TV. And I'm like, what are you going to do with those? thinking like, I have one hand. How are you going to cuff me? <laughs> you know? And he took that as like, what are you going to do? You know, type of thing. So they yeah. stop resisting. They beat the hell out of me. And then they can't figure out how to cuff me. They're like, how do you want to cuff this guy? <laughs> they end up throwing a handcuff here, a handcuff here, one here, mm. and then put me around the back. And it was just a freaking, it cost me thousands of dollars, you know? Did you ever figure out how they knew? Was you, did it like smell up the neighborhood and somebody called you in or? 
I have no clue. That's still a mystery to this day. I get asked that question so much. And I'm like, bro, I have no clue what possessed him to come to the apartment that day. Because this wasn't their first time showing up randomly. Mm. You know what I'm saying? This is the third time that year. Oh, really? First time was in January. Uh, first time just came to check our visas, make sure we say we, you know what I'm saying, who we were. The second time was reminded about, in February, reminded about some safety hazards. Maybe put a third time. I'm like, okay. This is like a routine thing that yeah, they do. I'm just an American. Well, they really just want to make sure I'm not a criminal or something yes, like I'm, that. I ain't thinking much. You know what I'm saying? And I've been smoking in China since I got there. So it was like, it wasn't my first time smoking either. So is it easy like, to buy weed in China? Is it easy to uh, buy weed well, in China? We, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we was mainly smoking hash mm. at first. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The last time I went to go cop, and sure that your hash, so they only had actual bud. I think that's why I went wrong. Cause I'm like, I've been smoking hash the whole time. Everything been peaches green. The moment I buy actual bud, shit hits the fan. (laughs) So I think that's why I went wrong. Yeah. I mean, I bet when, um, that Brittany Venti case was going on where she got busted with uh, the vape pen in Russia, I bet that had you pretty up in arms, huh? I was just like, man, I would love to hear side of the story. We done heard this story from the media all different forms of media, but have yet to hear it from her mouth. Let me hear your Strange. angle. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. So I'm like, I can't wait to, I think she wrote a book too. So I'm oh, like, oh, that yeah. makes sense. I know that's yeah, of course she would I have a book deal break. coming back from something like, yeah, I mean, her, everybody, like, yeah, she's got a massive book deal. I didn't think about that. That's yeah. going to go crazy too. <laughs> yeah. So um, how has this like changed your look on, criminal justice and stuff like that in America. Have you like dug into our justice system at all, or do you just kind of want to stay away from it because you've had the up close? This is my first time being in that level of trouble. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You walk this, I play football. I walk yeah. straight line. So it's yeah. like, this is the most trouble I've ever been in. But I'm like, I am in, I, here I am, foreign, moving like an American in China. Who's tripping? Me, I'm the yeah. one that's wilding. I'm, I'm, I'm out of line. I'm tripping. I'm like I'm back home. Like, no, nah, brother, this not Atlanta, brother. It's not Florida. Like, nah. So, I'm like, for it to go the way that it went, I'm like, bro, I was the one that was out of pocket. So I had to tell us. I held myself accountable. As you read the book, I'm holding myself accountable. Yeah. Like, and I that's a, my, you know what I'm saying. Like, and that's a great like attribute of of yours is to like say hey i i knew the the consequences going in i chose to take the risk and now i gotta do the time and pay the crime and i think like a lot of you know right now tiktok's in the news oh we gotta ban tiktok we gotta ban tiktok and it's like hey you know my kids aren't turning out exactly the way i want them to call the government like come on you, you can't do that you got to take responsibility for yourself oh me you you gotta Facts. you know get your kids into football you, you know Facts. Any type of get them off Any the phone man exactly you know what i'm saying I, i'm not even on tiktok just uh, i know yeah, it's a neither. chinese app and I, I, I know how chinese i live there so i know, I know how they get down they use uh, trust me them folks monitor everybody's on app best believe <laughs> what are the believe. what are the schools like over there? Like, I bet they have CCP agents in like all the schools. But like, you know, we're we're having a lot of trouble with our schools over here. Are, I mean, their schools have to be like full indoctrination factories, right? And work in the actual like in the school system. So I pretty much work for a company that specializes 
uh, teaching English as a foreign language. Mm-hmm. So they have learned Spanish and French and all that, you know what I'm saying, stuff here. Over there, over there in China, English is huge. Just so many companies. Disney has come up teaching English. To, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Teaching English. So it's like, yeah, it's high demand. So I just work for an English company. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So that's when the kids aren't in actual school, they with us. Probably. And just based on how these how they schedules are set by these kids. I'm, like I said, I'm working with kids young as three years old, teenagers. But these folks got full schedules. Like, extracurricular activities outside of just regular school, whether you playing a sport, you playing instruments or a sport and an instrument and you learn English on top. Like you, they folks, they be going, them kids be a full days, 12, 13 hour days, no cap. Wow. No cap. Even the works, we got eight hour work schedules here. They work schedules 12 hours out there. I'm saying it's different. They move, it's, they move different. It's whole completely different culture, whole different. Yeah. Vibration, whole different frequency. That's why I say, bro, you need to travel. Everybody yeah. need to travel, bro. See how much you'll learn about life. For what, sure. Uh, it's no life is live. What you what you you in Idaho right now? You I'm said? in Idaho, but I've lived all over the place. I grew up in Northern California, and um, I was a motocross racer. So I moved down to Southern California when I graduated, and I raced a little bit amateur pro. I wasn't any good, but I I did a little bit of racing after high school. And then I got into drugs really heavily. I was a, I was also a drug dealer. Like I, I was from Northern California and I moved down to Southern California. So I was from where they grow the weed. And then now I live where they buy the weed. So it was like a perfect (laughs) position for me. I'd load the bike in the back of the truck and I'd fill up with like 30 pounds and I'd drive back and forth one or two times and do it. Like some of the, in Northern California, we've got this prison called San Quentin. And it's one of the nastier prisons in, yeah, yeah, you probably heard San Quentin. It's a nasty prison. And I had to drive by it every time going down there. And I just, you look over at that thing, you got 30 pounds and you just go, oh boy, I'm going to put the cruise control on (laughs) on this one. Man, I'm for real. So it's like, you from California, live in Idaho now. Uh, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. How drastically different is Atlanta compared to Northern and Southern California? Oh, yeah. How even more drastic is Atlanta to Idaho? Idaho to Northern. Yeah. Two, these yeah. are three completely drastically different places. Oh, and yeah. everywhere in between. And we're just talking about one nation. Yeah. So imagine also, we talk, oh, now we compare, now we compare California to Ghana, Atlanta to Saudi Arabia, yeah. Idaho to goddamn. Uh, France, you know, drastically different places yeah. and everywhere in between is drastically different. Life is lived drastically different. So it's like, with that being said, you won't learn that until you travel. If you're only domesticated, yeah. no, you're only going to think one true. certain way, look at life one certain way. So it's like, once you start expanding your horizon and get exposed to just differences within the world, how can one say that they they know the right and yep. wrong way of living life? Yep. I did a year in Maui as well. And I mean, talk about changing your perspective on life on. in so many Come ways. On. Like being in a place so beautiful is that changes you immediately. But then also seeing the way the it shouldn't be an American. It shouldn't be in a state in America. It's its own country and it should be yeah. treated in that way because it's so different like to see the way that people just 
do what they have to do to survive. So over there, they have what they call Filipino houses. So if you got a big house and you don't have a great job, you section it off into three different sections and you rent them out. You just rent out yeah. space. A lot of the guys that I worked with, the one of the, the head for our security was 40 years old. He'd been working at the same bar for 20 years and he lived with his parents and his grandparents. And, you know, you hear that story in Northern California, you go, what a fucking loser. I had friends that were yeah. like that who just didn't care if they ever did anything with their lives or, but I, it changed the way I looked at it because they were so much closer to their families. They were happy with what they had instead of like wanting more and more and more. So like now that I'm in this position, when I moved in, I bought a house here in Idaho. I was married at the time. I'm divorced now and I'm not going to be able to make the kind of money that I made before I got hurt. And instead yeah. of like selling my house or struggling at a job, just killing myself to make the mortgage. Now I rent two rooms out. I have a, I have a three bedroom house and you know, and then a couple months ago, I had a, a, a guy live in here. He's like, when do you think it'd be a good time for me to buy a house? And I go, homie, you need to build a house. So I'm talking about buying a house. You need to build a house. <laughs> oh, me. And then I pull out these house plans and I'm showing him my house plans. I'm like, look, I drew, I, I drew plans for this building that I never built. I'm like, here, look, you built, you do this and you can build and you know, blah, 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 blah. And then I start thinking, hey, you know what? I could still build that in my backyard and rent out another room. Mm -hmm. And then I start looking into it and I go, you know, I think I might get hell from my homeowners association. And I go, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to put it in my <laughs> dining room. So now I'm doing it in my dining rooms. I've got a, a room being built in my dining room. It's going to be another few hundred bucks, probably closer to a thousand bucks a month. And, you know, Passive income. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't told the guy this yet. He's, it's funny. He's actually standing over here in my kitchen right now, listening to this, but God works in mysterious ways. Thank you for bringing that up, buddy. Logan. Thank you. <laughs> you know me, you know what I'm saying? That's what I was, man, it, it, being out there changed. Like I, I learned so much, man. And like you said, China, China's the same way. Like the parents raise the kids. Once the kids are able to fend for themselves, now the roles automatically flip. Now the parents move in with the, you know what I'm saying, with the kids. How it should be. Now the, what, the, yeah, they move in with the kids. Now that are adults, now you're adults now, but the parents move in with them. You got babysitters. You ain't got to pay for, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They more likely going to keep the house clean. You know what I'm saying? They move as a tribe. Here in America, it's like, like every man for himself. You yep. know what I'm saying? It's just two different cultures. That's all it is. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And you, so, you know that your kids are being taught right because they're being taught values like right in front of them, like good value, at least maybe not always good, but, but the values that you want yeah. them to have rather come than what the over oppressive, like I, I can imagine that the state over there is very oppressive, but when you have a strong family unit like that, it's hard for the state to really get too out of control. I mean, they're, I don't know what I'm saying. I guess China is completely out of control in a lot of ways, but it, it, it drives me nuts where people are dry, you know, beating the war drum. We got to go to war with China. And it's like, dude, they make all of our stuff. Half their population Whoa. is just food to mouth poor. And it's like, you know, 
they're normal people. Like you said, they, yeah. they live with their families. They love their families. They play, what, what, what sports are popular over there? What, what sports do they play? Baseball, baseball, soccer, basketball. Yeah, them three, baseball, soccer, basketball. It, it is a football team, like American football team out there, but it ain't that big. You know what I'm saying? If you know about it, you know. But I had students at baseball, of course. You know what I'm saying? Every soccer, that's that's a global sport. Everybody and their mama play soccer around the world. Oh, yeah. Um, and then basketball is a global sport as well. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But they're, they're, they're the big three for sure. Yeah. Motocross is a global sport. Uh, a lot of guys yeah. grow up in Europe. And you have to travel a lot over there to ride and they make their way over here and they just love it. You know, I, I hear people complaining about the United States. It's, oh, people are, don't want to come here anymore. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, man, you watch one motocross race where some guy from Germany or France or, you know, England wins their first race and they're just so happy to, Oh, I'm so happy to be over here and racing and just, it's great. And it's like, man, We've got it pretty good over here. And, yeah. You know, so, you've experienced. Everybody mama moved here for a reason. Yeah. But like, to be an American in a foreign country, you are, man, I'm talking, you're God, essentially. Like, you know what I'm saying? You're viewed just because you're American. Everybody wants to come to America eventually at some point in time. <laughs> oh yeah like, everybody, because they already know what America is cap. Hey, man, it's the money. That's, that's where the money at. Yeah. Even with yes, America, you know even within America, we have hierarchies of places that everybody wants to. Everybody wants to go to California. You know, you tell people, I would tell people growing up uh, that were racing from different areas of, oh, I'm from California. It's like, oh, you ever meet any movie stars? It's like, no, nah, man, I live fucking 100 miles north from San Francisco. <laughs> Nobody comes around. They're like, I, like we on. live in wine country. <laughs> no, for real. You know what I'm saying? So, that American status, man, that's why the trap is so important, man. Like, being in China, as a black American, man, like we're the culture for sure. You know what I'm saying? That they try to emulate, especially hip hop. Hip hop is is another global uh, construct that everybody, you know what I'm saying? You're going to see it no matter where you go for the most part. It's going to be somebody that listens to hip hop that really love it too. Man, they ain't doing nothing but emulating who? <laughs> you yep. know what I'm saying? Yep. It is crazy. And man, hip hop is powerful. That's this show is called Too Hard for the Radio. This is that's named after a Mac Dre song, Too Hard for the Radio. We played it in the <laughs> intro. I mean, this was a guy who changed culture in Northern California and it radiated throughout the entire country and probably throughout the world. I mean, a lot of people don't know who Mac Dre is, but they will absolutely know the things that he injected into American culture. Ghost riding the whip, um, you know, <laughs> hyphy, the hyphy movement. These were all started in Vallejo, California by one rapper. And I mean, back, and this was back when he couldn't get on the radio. It's what the damn song's Come about. On. They wouldn't play him. He had to sell tapes out of the back of his car. And come on, man, marathon. You know, he was still <laughs> able to change culture in not only his area, but the entire country. And there's something right. powerful about that. Mogul right there. He reminds me of Nipsey. Nipsey Hustle. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sounds just like Nip. For sure. And Nipsey's a huge influence for me. You know what I'm saying? I got my daddy is from South Central Los Angeles. I'm just from uh Atlanta. 
So I got a lot of, I got connections to out West. You know what I'm saying? It's the second home uh, for sure. But man, Nipsey Hussle was definitely a huge, huge influence on everything, on me and a lot of my peers. Um, it's a lot of West Coast rappers. We, TDE, Dom Kennedy, you know what I'm saying? The whole, man, what? West Coast is, man, it's a different, it's a different vibe out there for sure. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm yeah. Completely yeah, I mean, it yeah. was, it's hard to describe to people who didn't live through it how powerful it was. Uh, I mean, when he got shot, it was a, a, a somber day in California. Right. And I mean, even in, San Francisco, Vallejo today, you can walk down random alleys and find big Mac Dre murals over the entire fucking wall. And, you know, his message was so powerful because he was so smart. You know, he got thrown in jail at a young age and really saw what the government was doing to black Americans crack the war on drugs and that really shaped like the way he lived his life. And it wasn't the division that you see today where, where it's, you know, are you for black lives matter or are you for all like, and and no man, (laughs) most of his fan, a lot of his fan, probably most of his fans were white kids and he knew it and he didn't care. He loved it. And that was the, you know, it was a, a great way to bring people together wasn't the greatest values that we were coming together over. But, you know, now down the line, 20 years later, we're all different people and we still remember that. And, you know, what it did for the place that we grew up in. It's an interesting thing to watch somebody have a powerful enough message to change just everybody. Now, for real, it's just like hearing about the civil rights movements and all these different civil rights, you know what I'm saying, women's rights, you know what I'm saying, all these different movements way back in history and just it taking one individual to be on the front line of it, you know what I'm saying? But so to witness it now in our day and age and a whole different type of time, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's important. I'm uh, I'm hoping like I I live here in Idaho obviously and and um we've got a good thing going on here. A lot of the people that are fed up with the way things are going in California have all made their way here. Uh people that I grew up racing with moved here independently of me. Mm. And you know, we hooked up down the line. It's like Jesus, we're we're all, you know, like-minded people going to the same place and we're uh looking into like expanding Idaho into Oregon. Essentially there's 13 counties mm-hmm. right now that want to go say no more Oregon. We, we want to go into Idaho. And one of the big sticking points is going to be marijuana because yeah. it is illegal in Oregon and it is very illegal here and they <laughs> want to keep it that way. But the problem is, is like the border is only 40 miles from Boise so in an essence, we do have legal weed in Boise. You just have yeah. to drive a little ways to get it. Yeah. And the sticking point is between these two things is going to be the people who want freedom, but also want weed. It's like, w- which one do you want more? Do you want to have be in a, a more free area 
or do you want to have weed? And I hope that it becomes a conversation about freedom rather than drugs. It shouldn't be a conversation about drugs. You know, you get these Republicans who are screaming, look, you said it was my body, my choice until a vaccine came out. Now that rule doesn't matter. But also you can't smoke marijuana. You should go to jail for that. It's like, come on, we need to have consistency. Like, do you want freedom <laughs> or not? Because you can't have it both ways, you know? So I'm hoping that we're going to make some, make some noise up here in Idaho and make this a free state. That's lit, man. Hey, man, I wish y'all nothing but the best on that, but that's going to be historical. No cap. It will. And, you know, years ago, you would have thought, eh, that that could never happen. But you would have also thought that the government couldn't lock us in our houses for a year either. So it doesn't, I don't think it's actually as crazy as it sounds. Um, Are you still down in Atlanta? Mm -hmm. Your family live there still? Yep. How would, how did your, how did how did your mom take it while you were in there? I'm sure it just tore her up, right? Uh, it was funny. Um, when I f- the, they said when I was able to make contact with people, that was the first person I called. Oh, of course. He was like, who, well, yeah. who can buy your plane? I'm like, I can buy my own. He's like, yeah. no, nah, you can't do it. I need somebody else. Yeah. I, was like, I only know one person, yeah. number by heart. And that's truly reliable. Yeah. Right, let me call Dukes. <laughs> of course. I call her. And she answered the phone. She's she like, hello. I said, what's going on, mom? She's like, you tell me. I said, oh, yeah, I'm locked <laughs> up. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I got an uh, email from the U.S. Embassy Let me know that, you know what I'm saying, what all took place. And um, ironically enough, I'm in the car right now with your brother. He dropped me off at the airport. I'll be in Beijing tomorrow by 5 p.m. Oh, so, damn. That's a, that's a good mother. <laughs> That's, that's, I bet you, oh, just a massive weight got lifted off your chest as soon as you heard that. Just like, I was shocked. Oh, that was like, tomorrow by five? I'm like, oh, I, told, I was like, hey, my mama said she'd be here tomorrow by five. He said, tell her to turn around. Ain't nothing she can do. Oh, Jesus. Oh, damn. I said, hey, he said, ain't nothing you can do. Can you buy, can you buy this plane ticket though? She said, I'll be there tomorrow oh, by five p.m. Bullshit, there ain't nothing I can do. I'm coming to China. <laughs> but I can buy the plane ticket, but I'll be there tomorrow by 5 p.m. So once I said, yeah, she can buy the plane ticket, he said, hang up the phone. I said, all right, man, I got to go. And we only talked for like less than a minute. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Short conversation, but it was crazy. I'm like, yeah, she said she's going to be here tomorrow. Damn. <laughs> she so ain't playing no game. Did you know that you were going to write a book while you were sitting there? Or were you like thinking about it at the time? Or did it take like getting out and yeah, sitting it, back it and like compressing and stuff? Um, just me, once I got back to America and. I'm meeting with friends or family members and I'm just telling them the story verbally and just seeing their body language shift and change as I'm telling the story. I'm like, okay, I got something on my hands. I don't know how I'm going to go about sharing this to the masses, but it's, I definitely want to do something with this story. Um, and I was hanging out with one of my friends I grew up with, DeMarco Reddins. He was a published, he traditionally published author before we graduated high school in 2014. Mm-hmm. He was like, hey, bro, you should, you ain't think about writing a book about the experience. I'm like, well, that's a good ass idea. Yeah. I don't even know where to start. Like that's, but that's a good ass idea. Yeah. He took my phone, went to my notes section, left me a five layer outline, and I just started filling in the outline. And by doing that, I caught a flow for how I wanted to tell the story. Mm-hmm. So I moved it from the notes on my phone to a Google Doc so I could type it up on my laptop. Four months later, that story was written, and then just spent the additional six months just getting it ready for publishing. Um, so on April fourth, twenty nineteen, that was the day I got arrested in China. Yeah. On April 4th, 2020, the anniversary day, one year later, I released the very first version of 14 Days in Beijing on oh, Amazon. Wow. I was ranked number one new bestseller in three different genres. Wow. That's something. Were you a writer before 
like, did you ever do any type of writing other than like academic writing or like any writing for fun? Strictly or academic, strictly academic. academic. And really, in, high, in grade school before college, I can't even, but I can't even tell you. I don't remember writing for real, for real. Mm-hmm. I only remember writing in college once, because once I got to college, it was a rude awakening. I'm talking about, and then my degree, communication media studies. That's an that's an extensive writing course. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, oh. Damn, I got a paper in this class. I got a paper in this class. I'm like, damn, hold on. Wait a minute. I was, I didn't know I signed up for all of that. So it took me a minute just to, you know what I'm saying, get into the flow of just being used to write, or just learning how to write one. Yeah. And then, you know what I got to, this is something I'm going to have to do until yep. I graduate. And then even my senior research, I had to write like a 40, 50 page paper. I yep. didn't write it. You know what I'm saying? Yep. But <laughs> I got somebody else to do it. But I'm like, that was never one of my strong suits. Yep. So for me to be now, uh, Three-time published author and bestseller. It's just like, man, it's That's ironic something. within itself. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, after I got hurt at one point, I was, the you know, I've lived a crazy life, racing motocross, selling drugs, homeless in Hawaii, you know, mm. bartending in San Francisco. I, I've done a lot of stuff, blown my hand off. And it was like, well, this is an interesting story. Like, I don't know. Like, like you, like how, I don't know how I'm going to tell this story, but it's a story and people yeah. would like to hear that. Like anytime I tell people story, they're like, you know, like, oh, let's, let's hear some more story. And it's again, it's like, and I start thinking, oh, I, I reach out maybe to other writers. Would you be interested in this story? And, and at some point it hit me like, nobody's going to do this for you. Like, if you want to do it, you got to do it yourself and it's going to suck. It's going to be hard. It's going to be with one finger. And I just started typing away, and I I I, I just do it on Substack. I'll, I'll release a, a couple here and there, and I I actually ended up giving up on the the biographical biography type stuff, and I moved on to a sci-fi novel that I'm working on, which is which has been fun to think about. Uh, I, I've always really loved sci-fi, so I I actually decided I'm going to inject parts of my story. Oh, into the sci-fi book oh, because a lot of you know people don't want to read boring shit about me eh, i don't know maybe not so let's put it into a sci-fi book let's make it fun and entertaining and see what happens hey that's hard that's hard and now yeah. so it's like for me pub- writing three books or publishing three books um and having so much success really on the first one i'm not the first one at the part oh, but yeah. i knew i'm like but it's gonna go crazy i knew when i was going through editing phase, trying to come up with the cover and all that. I'm like, but it's going to go crazy. I knew it was. So the, when I released it and put it out to the universe and it was going slap crazy like I knew it would, man, it was just so many people reaching out to me that had aspirations of becoming or uh, being a published author since they was children. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Here I am. My partner just threw me the idea and yeah. I just took it and ran with it and knocked that thing out of the park. You know what I'm saying? I made it look easy. Yeah, but you had, you did the work for 20 years. It's like sure. when you when you pay the contractor to work on the room, I'm not paying him $10,000 to build a wall. I'm paying <laughs> him $10,000 for the 20 years it took him to learn how to build that wall. No me, facts. So, facts. you know, facts. it's you're not paying for the time that you spent typing away on that. It's it's you're paying for the experience, for the education, all of it. No and, no you know, me. that's what it took to get it all on paper. And I'm sure it was not easy. But, you know, sometimes uh, when you write things, you know, it's good or, you know, it's bad. And when it's good, man, like you can write something yeah. and get done. And you go, that was good. And then yeah. you can pick it up two weeks later, three weeks, a month later. And you start reading it again. And you go, yep, that was good. 
You know, sometimes <laughs> you'll read stuff and you just go, I don't know what I was thinking on this. Oh, me. You know, and then sometimes you read, you go, yep, that was good. And sometimes yep. things just click. So that's, that's great that you were able to do that. But it's like, I feel like we all have stories like a 14 days in Beijing. Oh, of we course. We all have stories like that. Um, and now with so many people reaching out to me, you know what I'm saying, just want to pick my brain on how I did it, you know what I'm saying? Because they yeah. got stories they want to tell. I'm like, for sure, let me coach you or walk you through the process. So now I just started a service through my own publishing company that I, that I started in 2021. All my books are published through it. I coach people through the writing and publishing phase. So Anybody out there with an idea or concept for a story, but not sure how to go about putting it on paper, or you've written a whole book, but not sure how to go about publishing, tap with your boy. I can walk you through either or process or both of them if need be. Um, I've worked with plenty of people since 2020, but I had one person finish, see it all the way through. And I met him in 2021. We published his book on in 2022, October last year. And his book went number one new bestseller in two different genres. So that let wow. me know right then and there. I'm like, okay. You know what the fuck you talking about to a degree. Like you, hey, you know what you're doing. Yeah. And for him to take everything that you done observed that you done learned through this whole writing and publishing process, and he done applied it and he done reached the same level of success. And that's only book one. He got damn we got a series coming. I'm like, oh yeah, we gotta keep our foot on this gas for sure. That's awesome. You know what I'm saying? So and I love just- the the independent publishing, how yeah. it's just come on, you know. I you're the I think you're the third. Got a writer, independent writer that I've had on here, yeah. and it's just great. I mean, back in the day, if you didn't have a line to the publishing company, no one's gonna ever read your fucking book. <laughs> no one's ever. I got a huge bookstore in my town full of books that nobody's ever read. No me. But now, I mean, you do a podcast, you do your Twitter. You have an audience and you're writing, you can write for an audience at this point and know like, hey, this is my audience. They're going to buy this book no matter what I can sell to my audience. And I think it's great. Like some of these guys who've been able to, like I've heard writers say how they've published a book with a publishing company, made almost nothing and didn't even get any uh, publicity from them. Essentially like the... I don't know if you've heard of Michael Malice, but he published his like his last book independently. It went number one on Amazon. And before that, he went through a publisher. They were supposed to, oh, we're going to get you on all the shows and everything. They didn't get him on any podcast. He got himself on Joe Rogan. And he was like, what the hell do I need you for? <laughs> it's a middleman. <laughs> it's essentially what it is. And Amazon changed the game. Ever since Amazon, when Amazon originally started, it was originally a bookstore. Yeah. It was originally a bookstore. So Amazon changed the game with the self-publishing. That's not, and Amazon's just one avenue. Barney's and Noble got one. Kobo, it's so many different avenues you can got you can go through to publish, self-publish. But you know what I'm saying? Of course, Amazon, the, the big dog. So um it was just crazy how because I didn't know how it's gonna go about publishing. I'm I don't know how I'm gonna publish this thing. Yeah. And then one of my partners that was working for Amazon in the warehouse. At the time, he's in her warehouse. He just sent me the link, like, hey, bro, I just heard about this shit. Check it out. Like, yeah. I know you're writing a book, just check it out. So I'm looking, I'm like, hold on. Hey, I think I have figured out how I'm finna publish this thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay, I'll yeah. figure out. I'm like, is that how I'm finna? And it's independent too. The Nipsey Hustle way, the Marathon way. I said, oh, yeah, bet. This is what we're finna do. Come on. That's what it is. You know, uh, like, money in. I love seeing the, money in. like some of the new bands and rappers and guys who are, aren't even going in 
for the representation anymore. They're just making their own YouTube channel, putting up their own shit right to the channel, and then selling fucking tickets. Come on. Which is what it's all about. <laughs> I'm telling you, the independent way, man, it's so empowering to put something out into the universe and see such a huge positive response to it. That's a high of a lifetime. High of a lifetime, no cap. Especially the only. I feel like that's something that most Americans are in a never, you know what I'm saying, won't get to experience or probably, you know what I'm saying, you really won't get to experience ownership. To own something. Okay, you might own a house, but like far as a product, a service, like this is something that's solely me. Most people just, I'd rather just be an employee or a consumer. You know what I'm saying? So to be on the other end of that, man, it's a high of a lifetime. It's empowering. No cap. What a way to get out of here. Chancellor, thanks for coming on, man. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night.